0: Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. We exist to help people grow in Christ, share the gospel, and serve the community. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 16. Here's what it says. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up! If you don't take notes. I recommend you do it today. Get up. You want to underline, get up. Get up. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. Jonah got up, but he got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. Now, if you were not here last week, I just want to pause and say this. When it says that Jonah fled to Tarshish, Tarshish is not near where God told him to go. Tarsus is in the opposite direction. It is as far west as you can possibly go. So what, what happens is Jonah actually tries to go to the end of the earth to escape doing what God called him to do. So when we see he fled to Tarsus, that's not some lo- local location. He's not moving from east, going from East Orlando to Winter Park. No, he's going from Orlando all the way to Los Angeles, California. All right? He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarsus. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. Here's what happened. Verse 4. But the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, this is important. The Lord, this is so important. The Lord, the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea. Such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The ship itself threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and stretched out and had fallen into a deep sleep. Now, now we just read that there is a great wind on the sea, a storm is out there. You ever watched The Deadliest Catch? Y'all don't watch that. Have you seen a commercial about The Deadliest Catch? It always looks crazy out there on the water, right? And so, so it's a crazy sea. sea is raging, and Jonah is at the bottom of the sleep. And if there was a picture of unbothered, you'd see Jonah. Jonah is unbothered. Jonah's into a deep sleep. And so the captain of the ship approached Jonah and said, What are you doing? Sound asleep. G- get up. Does that sound familiar? G- get up. Call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us, and we won't perish. Come on, the sailors said to each other, let's cast lots. Then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots, and the lots singled out Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us who's to blame for this trouble we're in. What what, what is your business? Where are you from? What is your country? And what people are you from? And he answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were seized by a great fear and said to him, "What, what, what have you done? done? What what have you done? The, the, The men were seized by great fear and said, what have you done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. So they said to him, what should we do so that the sea will calm down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. And Jonah answered them, man, if you want to make it stop, pick me up and throw me in the sea and it'll calm down for you. For I know I'm to blame for this great storm that is against you it's my fault I can't blame anybody else for this trouble that I'm in nevertheless the men rode hard to get back to dry land but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more so they called out to the Lord that's important Please Lord don't, don't let us perish because of this man's life and don't charge us with innocent blood for you Lord have done just as you please Then they picked Jonah and threw him into the sea and all of a sudden the sea just calm stopped this raging The men were seized by great fear of the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord And made vows. Let us pray, Lord. We thank you for just this occasion that we have to come before you in worship, Um, Lord. We want to grow in our faith today. We want Christ to be magnified today. We want to know you more intimately today, God. We want to do your will ultimately, Lord. So, so Father, I pray today that you would just grant us grace. I pray um, that you would grant us grace to hear, to receive, to grow, to obey your commands lord let us see the love that you have for us and that your god who pursues your people and so father i pray your son jesus would be known today even in a message about an old testament prophet we would see the beauty of jesus and all that he's done for us and so lord we just pray today god that Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven it's in jesus name we pray and the people of god said amen you may be seated in the lord's presence from the sermon series God's Scandalous Mercy and Why It Matters, my sermon title this morning is The Absurdity of Running from God. The absurdity, the absurdity of running from God. There are many movies that have been made that contain elements of storms on the seas. Many movies that contain people being adrift there's even a TV show back in the 60s and 70s called Gilligan's Island that, 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 that talks about someone or portrays someone being shipwrecked. But when I got to thinking about what could I use to draw a line and bridge of contemporization for this message and this story of Jonah, I thought about one of my favorite movies that comes on TV often. And I always, no matter how many times I've seen this movie, I always stop because it's one of those movies you get, just can't turn away from. And and, and the movie that I draw from is the 1994 classic, Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump. Uh, I love this movie so much, but there is um, an unsung character in this story that meets Forrest about the middle of the movie, and his name is Lieutenant Dan. And Lieutenant Dan is played by an actor called Gary Sinise, and he was nominated for an Academy, Academy Award for his role as Lieutenant Dan. Now, if you know the story, Forrest and Bubba, his compadre in the military, meet Lieutenant Dan in Vietnam. And Dan is their lieutenant. He's over their, their brigade or, or their command, and he gives them wise advice. But one day they're out in Nam, and they're fighting the war, and... An explosion happens, and of course Bubba dies in action, but, but Lieutenant Dan is still alive, and Forrest makes an effort to save Lieutenant Dan, but there's one problem. Lieutenant Dan does not want to be saved. Lieutenant Dan actually wants to die. You see, Lieutenant Dan told him early on when, they met, when he met Forrest that he came from a line of men who served in the military, lieutenant dan was a patriot his grandfather his father his grandfather his great-grandfather all died in separate wars and so him being there laying down in vietnam he's willing to die because he wants to fall in line with with his heritage but but forrest doesn't listen and forrest runs lieutenant dan picks him up and takes him to safety well lo and behold when they get back to the mainland uh, lieutenant dan is extremely angry at forrest because he wanted to die he did not Want to live. He wanted to die as a patriarch. He wanted to die as an American hero. However, Forrest saved his life. The story goes on, and one day Lieutenant Dan meets Forrest in New York City uh, for, for Christmas, and he visits Lieutenant Dan, and there's a television program going on, and there's somebody preaching. It's a religious program, and Lieutenant Dan is bothered by this because he doesn't understand the idea of God in light of what has happened to him. And so the person on the TV talks, is talking about Jesus, and Lieutenant Dan turns to Forrest and asks his fundamental question: "Have you found Jesus yet, Gump?" And Forrest turns in classic fashion, and he says, "I didn't know I was supposed to be looking for him." And they—they they, they tell me, here's what Lieutenant Dan says: They tell me if I accept Jesus into my heart, I'll get to walk beside him in the kingdom of heaven. There's only one problem, Lieutenant Dan says: I don't have any legs. And so Lieutenant Dan makes a promise to Forrest as the story goes on It says that if you ever become a shrimp boat captain, I'll be your first mate. Well, lo and behold, Forrest feels his promise that he made with Bubba and he becomes a shrimp boat captain. And so Lieutenant Dan comes and What he doesn't realize is that Forrest is extremely religious at this point, so much so that Forrest goes to church every Sunday, and Lieutenant Dan sits in the back of the church, and he's extremely cynical about God. And so they go out, and they start their shrimping business, and they have no luck whatsoever. And then one day, Lieutenant Dan asks a question. He says, where the heck is this God of yours? And as if God was on cue, Forrest says in the movie, it's funny that Lieutenant Dan said, that because right then at that moment God showed up. And would you believe right there in the movie a crazy storm happens out on the sea and 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 so here's what Far says, now I'm scared but Lieutenant Dan is mad. Lieutenant Dan is so consigned con- resigned to die that he gets up on the post on the mast and he says it's between me and you God. He is begging for God to kill him. But God lets them stay alive. Matter of fact, they were the only boat that survived the storm on the sea that day. A couple things that we can take from this story. Number one is that no matter what you want, God can never be manipulated. Number two... What we see is, is that God sent a storm on the sea, and he was demonstrating, not just in the movie, but he demonstrates it in our own lives, that he is the God that is over all of his creation. You see, he's not just the God of the heavens, but he is the God of the heavens and the earth. He is not just some normal, limited God. He is a sovereign God. He is the Lord over all creation, so much so that the psalmist says in Psalm 24, he says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all that dwell therein he established it on the seas and founded it on the floods matter of fact Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 he works all things according to the counsel of his will all I'm trying to get you to see today is that God is God and he can do whatever he wants to Job even says in the midst of his challenge, in the midst of his hard life and his struggle, Job says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of the Lord can be thwarted. Like like nothing can stop what God has planned. When God has purposed a thing, it will come to pass. Why? Because God is in control of all things. That's good news for you and I. We don't want a God that gets detached when we get in trouble. And we don't want a God that's detached when we're in a time or, or a good season of joy and blessing. We want a God that is always there. And that is the kind of God that we serve. R.C. Sproul said it like this, there is not one ounce of cosmic dust that is outside the scope of God's sovereign providence. Nothing is outside of God's scope. Here's what R.C. Sproul also said. If God is not sovereign, then God is not God. Because if he's God, he's in control of everything or he's in control of nothing. It can't be one or the other. And so this is good news for us, and here's why. Because the Lord does not easily give up on his plan, his purposes, or his people, even if he has to use peculiar means to save us. There is no escaping the sovereignty of God. Lieutenant Dan couldn't do it. We can't do it. And Jonah couldn't do it. So there's three things that we're going to see in the story today. We're going to see the sovereignty of God over creation, the silliness of Jonah's rebellion, and the salvation of the sailors. We'll look at the sovereignty of God over creation, the silliness of Jonah's rebellion, and the salvation of of the sailors when we get to verse four the first thing we need to notice is it says but the lord threw a great wind onto the sea it's as almost as if it's saying the lord threw a wind onto the sea and and the storms literally started raging so much so that the ship that they're on the bible tells us that the ship threatened to break apart It's almost as if it's saying that the ship became a person and the ship said, I can't even take this anymore. It's like the ship was personified. And so you see that the seas are raging, the wind is blowing, the storm is going crazy, and all of these things are working against Jonah's plan creation itself is conspiring against Jonah and this is all the Lord's doing all of these things are God's rebuke of Jonah's escape and Jonah's rebellion God is using all of creation to get Jonah's attention and remind him that no matter where you go you can't escape my rule what is interesting is that that both the things that God calls Jonah to do number one he calls him to obey And number two, he calls him to share a message. Creation is doing what Jonah refused to do. Creation is actually obeying God's words. Creation is also preaching to Jonah that God is sovereign and you can't run away from him. So if creation is obeying God, who do we think we are? If the seas obey him, who are you and I to disobey God? Jonah can't escape. Creation is showing Jonah what it looks like to obey God. And here's what I want to say. It is a serious thing for us to disobey and deny the call of God. For some of us that are already saved, God has been calling us for quite some time. God has been calling us. God has been calling us to draw closer to him. For some of us, God wants to use us to serve him in ministry, but we've been running. For so many of you, you just feel something in your heart But your own agenda is getting in the way of what God is calling you to do. Here's what I want to let you know. It's never a good time to disobey God. There's never a good enough excuse to not do what God is telling you to do. And God will do whatever he needs to do to get your attention and to draw you to himself. God always gets his man or one man. God always gets those that he calls. To some of us who are here today, We haven't responded to the call of salvation. God has called us to be in a relationship with him. But some of us have ignored God. God has been calling us and God has been just doing stuff in your heart and you're like I I know I should obey obey God I know I should surrender I know I should give my life to him but but for some reason I got this thing going on I'm trying to get this thing off and and if and if I don't do this thing in the time that I've that I've scheduled myself to do this thing that, that then God is just gonna mess up my plans so here's what I'll do I'll handle my business and when I get done with doing what I got to do then I'll pay God some attention and God is like I will tear your plans to pieces. Have you ever tried to do something absent of God and you found out real soon, this, this ain't going to work. Like this, this, this is God, God, God is not blessing this nonsense whatsoever, so let me just give up. It just exposes for us the futility of running from God. But here's what I want you to know. There is nothing in this story of Jonah that is happening by accident. When we acknowledge that God is in control, we, we, we know that nothing is by chance. And that is good news for us because God, God doesn't need ideal circumstances to save you nobody gets saved under ideal circumstances God calls us wherever we are we can be in sin we can be in the location we can be in a relationship we can be doing something and God will do whatever he needs to do to get your attention we are never out of the reach of a sovereign God we need to know that today if you think that God is not uh, uh, uh dealing with your life or God is not or he's absent in some parts of your life I want to remind you today that there's nothing about your life that God is detached from you might ignore God God, but God is never ignoring you. It's kind of like a, a, a parent has a child and your child comes home and they close a the room door and you got a knock to come in your child's room. Now, I knew how some of us grew up. And you try to close your door. What do your parents say? You don't own a, you don't own a door in my house. And God is saying to you, you don't own a door in my world. You, you, nothing that you have actually belongs to you. So, God can get you from anywhere. God can save somebody that doesn't even expect to be saved. Lieutenant Dan says to Forrest, have you found God? And Forrest says, I didn't know I was supposed to be looking for him. I think that's what happened with the sailors. We get to the sailors in the story. They're unsuspecting. Now, I want to say this about these sailors. They are minding their own business. These sailors are doing their job. They are mariners. They, they go on the seas. Now, if you were here last week, it said that Jonah paid the fare in Joppa to go to Tarshish. And so this is a crew that Jonah hired. They have nothing to do with Jonah's nonsense. This is the type of scenario where you get in a car with somebody, and then they tell you after they're in the car with you what they got in the car, and you're like, I didn't sign up for this take me back home I didn't know this is where y'all were going this is what is happening with the sailors they they are just doing their job and they find themselves in the middle of a storm you ever got pulled into somebody else's nonsense you're like I don't want to be here I don't have nothing to do with this my name is Bennett and I ain't in it but he they're on the boat they're on the boat they can't get off. They, they are out at sea, and the, the, the wind is going crazy. And so here's what's, what's odd about this. If somebody is used to being a sailor, they're used to being on sea, a little storm ain't going to do nothing to them. But it has to be so bad that these guys are in a full-on panic. And what they start to do is they start to take action. And it tells us that the men start to cry out to their gods. Now, mind you, these guys are not followers of, jo- of Jonah's God. They are pagans. They, they, they worship a multitude of God. They are what we would call polytheistic. They don't just uh, uh, worship one God. We are mon- if you're a Christian, I just want to give you this little quick Bible study t- tidbit. If you are a Christian, you should be, should be monotheistic, meaning that you worship one God, Right? If you're polytheistic, you worship a multiple, a multitude of gods. You kind of got like a God buffet going on. You got a God for this, you have a God for this, and you have a God for that. Well, that was common in antiquity. And so these men start calling out. They say, yo, call out to whoever your God is so that we can try to figure out how to get this storm to stop raging. So the next thing they do is they start throwing the cargo overboard. Now, you're not thinking, okay, so what? What's the big deal? The cargo is their valuables. This is stuff that they need for the journey. Tarsus is not across the street. Tarsus is a long way, so they start throwing stuff overboard. They're making adjustments to their lives. They're trying to save themselves because this is what happened when you call out to false gods. You soon realize that it can't save you. You realize that it doesn't have the power to rescue you. And so what happens is people start to take matters into their own hands. We see them call out to the gods. The gods don't respond. They start making adjustments in their lives. They start throwing stuff overboard. They start changing the way they look. Changing the way they dress. Start getting new friends. Start getting a new job. Get an extra degree. Making all those changes in hopes that something will change in their lives. But soon they realize that that's not actually the problem they're doing everything they can but this is what life without god this is what it looks like throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks all the while while the sea is raging the good brother jonah is down at the bottom of the boat and the bible doesn't just tell us jonah's taking a nap It literally says Jonah is stretched out. He's stretched out. You ever have a nap so good that you mean to take a nap, but you end up going to bed? You ever had one of those kind of naps? You are so tired that you go to to take a nap at two and you wake up and you realize, I might as well stay in here. That's how sleep. Jonah is not just sleep. Jonah is sleep, sleep. The Bible says that he had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and fallen into a deep sleep. That's important. I kept saying down. This tells Jonah that descended to the lowest part of the ship, the bowels of the ship. Verse 3 says down two times. Verse 3 says that he went down to Joppa, that he went down into the ship. We get to verse 5. It tells us that he went down to the bottom of the sea, and it tells us he fell in a deep sleep. All of those are a sort of the same word in the same idiom, meaning that Jonah is descending down to as low as you can possibly get. Here's what you need to know. Jonah, in his sinful disobedience, It's descending down into death because that's what sin and rebellion does. It never takes you up. It always takes you down. Some of us are going to the next level, but it's the next level in the wrong direction without God. He keeps saying he went down, he went down, he went down, he fell into deep sleep. You know, some of us are not dead physically but we are dead spiritually. And this is what Jonah is on the verge of. This is what sin and rebellion looks like. It causes us to hide. And this is what we are like. And some of us have resigned to the fact that we are so opposed to the call of God that we aren't even attempting to seek after what God wants. How unbothered do you have to be to stretch out during the middle of the storm, some people, some, some scholars said, "Well, Jonah sleep because Jonah is depressed about the assignment that God gave him, that he didn't even want to wake up." But then you had to look. You got to look at the story that it parallels to. Remember, if you read the Bible, remember in the Gospel Matthew eight, Jesus is on the boat with the disciples, and it tells us that Jesus is on the boat, and what is Jesus doing? He sleep. A storm happens on the sea. They call out to Jesus and he asks his disciples, why are you so afraid? Oh, ye of little faith. Jesus gets up from his sleep, wipes the coal out of his eyes because he's human. And the Bible tells us that he rebukes the wind and the seas and they obey at his command. Jonah is asleep and Jesus is asleep. So, what am I supposed to do with that, Pastor? You see, Jonah is asleep because he's trying to escape his calling. Jesus is asleep because he's confident in his calling. Jesus knows that even if I'm in the middle of the ocean and the storm is going on, I hadn't gone to the cross yet. If God declared that that's what I'm going to do, then that's what's going to happen. So no matter where I am or what sea is raging and around in my life, I'm not going to die because I got a mission to go to the cross. You see, Jesus is about fulfilling His calling. Jonah is escaping his calling. See, some of us are doing the wrong kind of sleep. We're asleep because we're running from the call of God, but some of us are asleep because we are unbothered in a good sense knowing that I can sleep because I'm doing the will of God for my life. I'm not perfect, but I'm obeying. I'm not perfect, but I'm striving. I'm struggling, but I'm striving. I'm doing whatever God tells me to do in this season. I'm I'm tired of being rebellious. I'm tired of disobeying. I want to answer the call of God. Maybe it's not what I want. It's not where I want to be, but I know it's God's will. For my life and so my only answer to that is yes and amen and so that's the mission of jesus but jonah's resigned to die like some of us are but the good news is god is not willing to let you die if you're here today god is telling you that he sent his son because he's not willing to let you perish hear this He sent his son so that you don't perish, that you don't die spiritually. He sent his son. You have an opportunity to repent today. God is trying to make you alive in Christ Jesus. God is trying to get your attention today. If you've been sleepwalking through life, through your spiritual life, if you've been trying to do it on your own, God is trying to get your attention today. Here's what happens in verses 6 through 8. The captain approached Jonah. The men are like, we can't figure this thing out. We've called out to our gods. We've thrown stuff overboard. We've done everything. But the dude that paid for the ship is asleep. Let's get him. So the captain goes down to the bottom of the ship. And he steps to Jonah, and he asks the question that all of us will ask: What? What are you doing sleeping? Why are you sleep? But would you notice the next thing that he says to him in verse six? Get up! Now, if you were here last week or this week, and we read the scriptures, and you had your Bible, or you looked on the screen. The first thing God says to Jonah is, get up. Jonah's running from God, and a pagan that Jonah does not know says, get up. I don't think that's a coincidence. You ever thought you heard from God, and it wasn't what you wanted to hear? But then some stranger says the same thing, and you're like, Lord, have mercy. You ever have a conversation about something, come to church, and the preacher is preaching the same thing, and you're sitting in the audience wondering, was he listening to our conversation? And the preacher's thinking, I don't even know what's going on in your life. Now, some of us are like, that happened to me the other day. No, you were talking in your phone about babies, and then you saw all these baby ads coming up. Apple was listening to you. That was not God. You saw, you were talking about a car. You were talking about a Nissan, and then a Nissan Central commercial came on. That's not the Lord. That's Apple. That's Apple. Have that, is that happening? Am I the only person that that's happening to? Sleeve and all these churches pop up. I'm like, I was just talking about cleaning my own sleeve. It's crazy. They find Jonah at the bottom, and the first words that they utter to Jonah is get up. Is get up. And the men are like, Call out to your God. They're struggling to stay alive, and Jonah is resigned to die. So they try something else. These men, they've thrown the cargo over, they they now cast lots. And so they, they resort to this sort of divination that was common in the scriptures back then because it was believed that the lots can determine the will of God, and so they cast lots. So God causes a storm on the sea. He has the winds going crazy. He makes the ship threaten to break apart. He has the captain of the ship say the same words to Jonah that he said to remind him. And then they cast lots, and the lots fall on Jonah god is pursuing jonah relentlessly he is pursuing jonah relentlessly and this is what god does to us he he pursues us he pursues us god keeps coming after jonah to make it obvious that you can't run from god and they ask jonah these four questions and all four questions center around identity and what they want to know from jonah who is your god and what It's going on. And so here's what happens in verses 9 through 12. Let's read this together. 9 through 12. They asked Jonah, who are you? Where do you come from? What what what, what, like what's your business? And Jonah answered them, I'm a Hebrew. Notice that he doesn't talk about his spirituality first, he talks about his nationality. Who are you? I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. And in verse ten, the men were seized by great fear and said to him, "What have you done?" The first thing I want to address is that Jonah admits that he worships the God of the heavens who made the sea and the dry land, and so I'm kind of confused because if you know that you worship the God who creates the sea in the dry land. Why are you taking a boat on the sea to run from the God that you admit owns the sea and the dry land? The folly of running from God is admitting verbally that he owns everything, but then you disobey him when he tells you to do something. Which goes to show that you can confess God with your mouth and not trust him in your heart. You can call out his name, but not believe in his goodness. You can say that he's your God, but he'd not be your Lord. This is what's happening with Jonah. He, he's, I worship the creator that, 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 that made everything, but I don't surrender to him. And they ask this question, what is this that you've done? If you are a Bible reader, this question should sound familiar to you. What is this that you've done? If you go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 13, remember the story of the garden with Adam and Eve? The first thing that God says to them is, where are you? The second thing God says to them, who told you you were naked? The third thing God says, didn't I command you not to eat of this tree? And the fourth thing to drive it home that God says directly to Eve So what have you done? And this is the same thing that God says to Jonah. What is this trouble that you've gotten yourself into running from me? That you've caused this whole storm that you've caused this, that you brought this on yourself. You know, sometimes God can use a storm in our lives that that we don't know that is coming, that that happens, and and it's not to anything that we've done. Life happens to us. But sometimes we have to admit that this storm that I got myself in is due to my own disobedience. Can we be grown enough in our faith to just say, no, I got myself into this. This was my own doing. I I made this bed, and I got to lay in it. And God is asking Jonah, what have you done? But the men, the sailors, have a beautiful response. It says that a fear came over them. Jonah admitted that he's fleeing from the Lord's presence. And so they ask him, what what should we do? And he's like, pick me up and throw me in the sea. And I'm just asking, Jonah, if you know and you just admitted that you worship the Lord, the God of the sea and the dry land, and you know you're in a storm, why don't you just repent right now? If you just repent right now, the storm would stop. If you just turn from your sin and repent, the storm will cease. But Jonah just says, throw me in the sea. How bad do you have to not want to do what God calls you to do that you would rather die? You say that doesn't make sense to you logically sitting here but every time we disobey God essentially what we're saying is I would just rather die than do what God tells me to do some of us God has been begging us to do stuff for years and we sit on the sideline God called some of us when we were children we know it we're sure of it everybody's prophesied it to us told it to us confirmed it in us and we're just like ah But Jonah has a problem. Here's the Jonah's problem. Last week we realized that Jonah's problem is that Jonah is a prophet that is called to Israel, but he's the first prophet that God has called to go to a foreign land and talk to foreigners. He's called to go to the Ninevites in Assyria they are the enemies of Israel 30 years after Jonah's prophecy they will tear Israel up literally so Jonah had a right to be afraid he had a right to not want to do this right but God told him to send, God told him go to the Ninevites anyway and and Jonah does not want to do it because he fundamentally disagrees with God and he would rather die than repent he would rather die And so two things that are happening. Number one, Jonah's trying to force God's hand just to kill him. He's trying to force God's hand. The second thing is that the sailors are like, hey, what do we need to do? He gets a heart. He gets a conscience. He's like, you know what, just throw, you guys go ahead and throw me over because I don't don't want you to die. It's almost like he's saying, I'd rather be a substitute and die for you then let you die which gives us a picture of the real prophet who one day after Jonah would actually give his life and stand in the place of sinners but Jonah is giving us a precursor of that in this text right now the difference is Jonah gets thrown over but Jonah doesn't die Jesus goes to the cross and he actually does die so he does what Jonah could never do And so this is a precursor and a picture to show us that one day, one person, one prophet, the true prophet, the final prophet will stand in our place and give his life up so that we can live. It's a picture of the gospel. It's beautiful. Jonah says, throw me over. But then we get to the salvation of the sailors. Verses 13 through 16. This is so good. Now Jonah just told him, throw throw me over. Like, like, The sea will stop if you throw me over. But verse 13 says, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. Jonah says, you want the storm to stop, throw me over. The men refused to do so. They don't want to resort to that. Because in those days, it was a serious matter to take a life. They don't want Jonah's blood on their hands, especially now that they know he's running from God. They're like, we don't want nothing to do with this. This is between you and God. So they don't want to throw him over. However, there's something different that happens in verse 14 that didn't happen early in the story. Early on in the story, it tells us that the men in verse 5 were afraid. And what did they do? Each one called out to his God. In your Bible, lowercase g. We get here to verse 14, and they are calling out to the Lord, capital L. They say, please, Lord, capital L, don't let us perish because of this man's life and don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Lord, have done just as you, please. And so we see people going from pagan, from pagan worshipers to acknowledging the God of Jonah. Jonah was trying to run from witnessing to Gentiles. And here God has him witnessing to Gentiles. God's like, you don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it through you anyway. God doesn't always need your agreement. You are an instrument that God invites to participate in his plan in salvation for the world. But God don't need your agreement, but he like it. <laughs> but the men, in verse 13, I just want to show you something. It says they rode hard to get back to dry land. And so remember, let's recap. They cry out to their Lord. They throw cargo over the ship. They cast lots. They, they, uh, they, they ask Jonah, what's going on? They, they're, they're, they're doing everything. They're praying. They're throwing stuff over. They, they're, they're trying to row now. They try everything they can to save themselves and nothing works. This is a picture of what it looks like to try to work for your salvation. It says that they rode hard and some of us work hard for God to love us some of us are working hard to be a good person and it's just not working these sailors are not just some innocent bystanders in the story they are sinners That they, they worship a pagan God and the wrath of God is breathing down their neck and they don't even know it but they are working hard to save themselves they are idolaters they worship foreign gods they are doing everything in their power to calm the storms in their life like we do all the time we try to work to calm the storms and the harder they roll the harder it got. You ever try so hard but it just seems like life is working against you? That is what it's like in life without God. If you are trying to save yourself, if you are here today and you are a non-Christian, you are not following Jesus, we're not here to condemn you. But this is what life looks like when you're trying to save yourself through your efforts and your good work, trying to find salvation in your own willpower. You keep rowing. You keep changing things. You keep moving. You keep trying different methods. You keep trying different people. And none of it is working. And this is so that you can realize that salvation is found in Christ alone. It's in Christ alone. And right here, these men realize that it's not working. They realize they're humble enough to realize that they're helpless. But you know what I know? That humility and an admission of helplessness leads to salvation. How do I become saved? Stop working. Stop working how do I have life with Christ? Stop trying to earn salvation. If you're here today and you're trying to be a good person, that's not the way. We're not good people to be saved. We're good people because we have been saved. We don't work to earn salvation. We do good works because we have received the gift of salvation. The men realized this. They realize this, and you know what they do? They pick Jonah's behind up, and the Bible says they threw Jonah into the sea. What's the first thing that it says in verse 4? The Lord threw. He threw a storm onto the sea. He threw it. The same word that is used in verse 4 is used in verse 15, which really means the sailors aren't the ones throwing Jonah sea. It's God throwing Jonah. Little does Jonah know he thinks that he is escaping the call of God. Little does he know God has an unusual lift driver <laughs> ready to pick him up. God has called a lift that is going to take him on a ride of his life. (laughs) Verse 16, and I'm done. The men were seized by great fear of the Lord. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. They, they, They were seized by great fear. Very early on, early on this story, in verse five, it tells us the sailors, the men were afraid, but now they have a different kind of fear. They have a reverence type of fear. The Bible tells us that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And this is what these men are experiencing they thought that they were just doing their job and God interrupted their regularly scheduled programming. And at some point, if you are a believer here, God interrupted your life at some point. You were minding your business, doing your own thing on your own agenda, on your own timetable, and God interrupted what you were doing. And maybe you're here today and maybe you are at the bottom of the vessel of life God has you here today to get your attention. If you are not in a relationship with Jesus, you're not here by accident. God, if he has called you, he's going to pursue you. And sometimes God has to throw a storm to get us to obey. You know, some people say that experience is the best teacher. I think that that's a lie. I would much rather learn on the front end by being obedient than learning by hardship and disobeying. But these men, they, they are doing what Jonah, who was a follower of the God of the heavens and the earth, refused to do. How is it that these unbelieving pagan men can recognize the power of God and obey and Jonah can't. This wasn't some superficial surface level recognition of the fear of the Lord. Here's how I know. Here's, here's how I know. They, it says that they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. They didn't do this on the ship. How do I know this? Because they threw everything off. They have nothing to make a sacrifice with. So once the sea stopped raking, they could have been like, "Woo, we got him off the ship, let's go and mind our business. The Bible tells us that they made a vow, they made a sacrifice, meaning that while they were out in the water, no matter how far they were from the shore, they made a concerted effort to find a place of worship. You can only offer sacrifices in certain places. They had to be intentional. They got off the ship, found some sort of place of worship, and they made vows and sacrifices to the Lord. This is a genuine conversion that these men experience. And this is the life of a Christian, the one who has humbled Themselves and turn to the Lord. You, you see, when we surrender and trust in the Lord because of Christ, that the wrath of God that was once hanging over our head is no longer. This is the problem with Jonah that God's judgment is breathing down his neck in his disobedience. But here's what you need to know: for us, Jesus took the wrath on Himself on the cross. And the same wrath and judgment that the sailors were trying to escape is the same one that hangs over everyone's head that is not in a genuine, authentic relationship with Jesus. But today, the same way Jonah said, throw me over, voluntarily, Christ voluntarily went to the cross to stand in your place. So, if you're an unbeliever today, God is pursuing you. This is a sign of God's pursuit of you. If you are running from God, if you, you are disobedient, if, you, if God has called you to do something, if God, if God has called you to serve in a certain way, if God has called you to do a certain thing, and you're just like, ah, I don't. This is an imitation today. It never works out running from God. And it fundamentally, when we run from God, here's what it's saying. Here's what we're communicating that I don't believe that God is really good. I don't believe that God knows what he's doing because if I I do this thing that I don't agree with, God won't take care of me. But if you know anybody that just surrendered and gave up, that they may not have a perfect life, but they will never tell you that surrendering to Jesus wasn't worth it. For all the hardships all the setbacks, all the hang-ups, all the mess-ups, all the, all the things that I've ever experienced in my life, following Jesus is something that I ain't never regretted. It's, it's, it is the most rewarding and satisfying thing because you don't get stuff, you get God. And today is an invitation for us not to do things our own way, but it's also an invitation and lets us know that we don't decide who We will and who we won't witness to, that no one is outside of the reach and the scope of God, even if they are pagan, even if they don't look like you, if they don't vote like you, if they don't dress like you, if they don't live like you, God can save anybody. Jonah did not expect to get on a boat and some other people get saved in his disobedience. But God uses Jonah, even in his rebellion, to save sinners. Jonah's story highlights something very important for us. It shows us the mercy of God and salvation, but it also shows us the absurdity of running from God. So all eyes closed, heads bowed. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If it was a blessing to you, please consider visiting our website, outpouringorlando.com to connect with us and to also give financial support. If you are ever in the Orlando area, We would love to serve and worship with you. Have a wonderful week.